You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Tickets for Maine Live are available now. Maine Live is a day of inspiring talks and stories of grit by the business and creative people shaping the future of our state. Join host Dr. Lisa Belisle and 14 mesmerizing speakers who will inspire conversation and connection. This fifth Main Live is on Thursday, September 21st at USM's Hannaford Hall. Go to MainLiveEvent.com for more information and to purchase your tickets. John Hathaway has owned companies all over the world, including a successful real estate development firm. He returned to his home state of Maine to open Shucks Maine Lobster, a business that supplies raw lobster meat to international and local chefs. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Lisa. So tell me about your transition from real estate to lobster. It sounds like you've done more than one thing in your life. So I've done a lot of things in my life. All right. <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty much who I am. Is uh, I'm more I'm more of a, a, a dreamer than I am a, a good businessman, and I I like to follow my dreams. I think it's important for people um, to have to do what they love to do and find their passion, and that's what I try to teach my children. And I, I think that's critical to a successful life. You grew up in Gardner. I grew up in Gardner, Maine. Uh, my family, my dad's family, has uh, um, been in this country since the Mayflower. And the first Hathaway came um, right after the Revolutionary War when he fought in the Revolutionary War and was awarded 40 acres in Buckfield, Maine. So in, uh, on the other end, my mother's parents were Irish immigrants who worked in the shoe factories. So how did they end up meeting one another? Uh, there was a shoe factory in the old days in, in Gardner. My parents, uh, my grandparents worked in that. And my dad was there and, um, you know, the, the, the greatest generation. And he came back from the war and uh, met my mother and, and, and married her and had three great kids and a wonderful life in Gardner, Maine. Wonderful parents. So I, th- I think family's just really the key to, to everything. So tell me how their influence caused you to go down this path of following dreams and feeling how important it was to follow one's passion. That's a good question. I I think they were just loving parents, you know, like uh, most kids in Maine. It's a small town and and, uh, working class parents, and and they just spent a lot of time with us and and loved us and and encouraged us to to do things. And... um, at a young age, I was, uh, I mean, I was always in business, I guess. I was always selling Kool-Aid or delivering newspapers or raking blueberries. 
doing what Maine kids do. Uh, and and then as I got a little older, I was um, uh, very fortunate to go to get a scholarship to attend Phillips Exeter Academy in New Hampshire. And uh, for a small town kid from Maine, that was quite an eye-opening experience. Uh, uh, I had, you know, I met uh, Kennedys and Rockefellers and and uh, the Coors boys who own Coors uh, beer and and the Miller boys who own Miller beer and and a lot of a lot of people. But what it what it taught me, I think, was um, that you can compete out there. That if you do have the passion and find the passion, uh, that you can you can achieve your dreams. You know, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I I think we need to instill that in young people today. Why real estate? What what was it about real estate that uh, oh. interested you? <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, I went to, uh, from there, I, I went to college in Boston, and uh, I kept working. And, and um, you know, as a busboy in a restaurant, I scalped uh, a lot of tickets, which actually paid my way through college and law school. Uh, and luckily at that time, the Celtics and the Bruins uh, were very successful, and, and I did quite well. And um, uh, that was a fun experience. And then when I got out of law school, uh, there was one job that I wanted, and it was actually for a guy uh, from South Portland uh, who was the very first sports attorney uh, in, in the country. And I got a job with him in the 43rd floor of the Prudential Center, and um, uh, on about the second day, a guy in another office came in and said, oh, you, you're from Maine, right? And I said, yeah, because you're a friend of Randy's. I said, yeah. He said, just want to let you know this isn't really what you think it is. And, and uh, he was right. And after a week, I walked out the door. Um, my mother cried, but that was, that was okay. Uh, I went on and um, uh, married uh, uh, a wonderful woman who's from Canada. Uh, we opened the first uh, Mexican restaurant in Canada, actually, in Toronto. And uh, you asked me uh, before about advice. You know what advice? I, I actually talked to a very, very successful guy who owned a chain of restaurants and he said, oh, if you want to be in this for 10 years, you'll do very well. And I decided, okay, I don't want to be in it for 10 years, so we're going to look for something else. And a friend of mine uh, told me about um, houses that were selling in Baltimore, in inner city Baltimore, for a dollar. And I said, okay, I think I can afford that. Uh, We bought a house, we fixed it up, we sold it, we bought another one, sold it, bought a few more uh, at auction and sold those and then kind of just followed followed that path and followed that dream and and got into other, we went further south and got into developing uh, national award-winning subdivisions and some commercial real estate and uh, really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was great. So when you say your mother cried because you, you well, I had a job and and for her it was like, great, you know, but I was like, mom, I, you know, the first thing I learned about being a lawyer was you're you're solving other people's problems and and again I go back to trying to find out who I am and and I think I'm much better at creating my own and and just doing that and that's you know if you can if you can find those problems and solve those problems you can do very well and you can help people along the way and for me that was uh, it turned out to be more of my passion um, and and which is why I got into the lobster business um, um, my, we live in Kennebunkport, and uh, we have five children, and, and they all work different places in the summer. And I thought, okay, it'd be nice if they could all work together. 
So we opened a, a, a little seafood restaurant and a, a very small one and all my kids worked in it. My boys were seven and nine and they worked the fish market and my daughters cooked and waited and everything else. And, and it, it kind of dawned on us when the tourists would come in that they loved being in Maine and they wanted to celebrate with Maine lobster, but really it wasn't the animal that they wanted, it was the food. And there's a big difference. And I think the industry ha still hasn't entirely learned that. Um, it, it's, it's developing, but I think there's a long way yet for the industry to go. And so I heard about uh, an oyster company in New Orleans who was selling uh, warm water Gulf oysters to California. And because of the Vibrio, California said, no, we're not going to buy them from you anymore. So they invested in this technology that was initially developed by NASA um, called high pressure processing. And, and I went down, I brought some Maine lobsters down to see it. And what it actually did for them was it actually, you put it in water and at very high pressure and it actually shucked the, the oyster inside the shell. And so that's, and, and it also, it, it would, it, it took care of all the pathogens and the bacteria, the Vibrio, whatever in there, and it just made it a totally clean product. And, and so I went down there, brought the lobster, and what, what, was, what amazed me was that when you put the, take the lobster out of the machine and you open the shell, you can actually, the raw meat actually slides right out. And you can't do that with a lobster. You know, you can cook it. But if you're a chef, which is generally our market, uh, if you're a chef, then you, you want something that you can put your own taste to. You don't buy a cook steak and then recook it to sell it to you in, in, a, in a fancy restaurant. You, you want to, but again, you don't want that live animal either. You, you want that wonderful Maine lobster meat in its purest form so you can add your touch to it. And, and lobster is, you know, it's, it's a celebration food. It, it's, that's the story of Maine. And um, uh, back when we had the restaurant, um, we used to run the, the World Lobster Eating Championship. And, and you know, we'd have three or 4,000 people come and, and Badland Booker, uh, Badlands Booker, who was the, one of the big eaters, you know, he would get up there and he would lead the cheer. And he'd say, when I say Maine, you say, and everybody would shout out lobster. And, and that's, that's the story of Maine. And, and it, it's a great story because it's lobster is you know one man one boat they're out there it's it, it's it's not big giant companies going out with big boats and and taking it off the bottom um, and and it's you know it's just a beautiful story and it's a beautiful product and it's um, again it's 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 wild caught and and people love it and like to celebrate with it so I think that's really uh, what that industry what drew me to, to the industry, but also drew me uh, to the fact that it, the industry needed some innovation. And, and that's why after I left New Orleans, uh, I came back and I bought a $2 million high pressure machine and didn't know what I was doing, but hired a couple of great people and, and we started, we started uh, developing products and we went to Brussels to the International Seafood Show the first year and we won first prize for best new seafood product in the world and we didn't have a customer. So I said, okay, we need customers, but at least we're starting out on the right foot. And, um, and it's, been, it's been an adventure ever since, you know, and uh, 
but it's it's a lot of fun and and again it it makes the product makes people very happy because they people love to celebrate and i eat very well so <laughs> it's fun <laughs> now you talk about um wanting to find your own problems and your own solutions yeah, to your own problems yeah. so when you're talking about lobster the problem was that you have to get the meat out of the actual oh well, i think that i think there were two things um back at that time uh one was again um there was the, the, there's the whole issue of 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 uh, people actually what do they want you know do they People want to see the lobster. They want to come to Maine to see the lobster. But when they're in a restaurant or they're at home someplace, they don't really want to take a live animal and put it in a pot of, of boiling, boiling water and then have to tear it apart to get to the food. They really want food. So a couple of things that when I started out that I was really trying to, trying to, to encourage people to do was the lobster roll, right? Like the lobster roll is... People love lobster rolls, but they they don't have to fight the animal to get it. But it's it's they're they're delicious and 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 you can you don't have to ship that live animal across the country to get it to some place in California that wants to sell a lobster roll. And and you you know for yourself in the last ten years how popular now lobster rolls are, how how they've become. And so I think it was that whole innovation thing and, and the fact that that chefs needed. The best part of the of the lobster. Without, if you're in New York City, you, you don't want a live animals crawling around in the back of your restaurant, and you're paying expensive help and expensive uh, uh, real estate. You know you don't you, you can't do that. Um, so those are problems that that we I think we're trying to to solve. And um, I think the industry has come a long way, but I think there is a lot more innovation that needs to be done. I I think that. Um, for instance, there's the the marketing, the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative, which goes out. Which I have to tell you, I I totally disagree with what they're trying to do. They're trying to sell new shell lobster and say that the meat is you know great, but they're trying to sell it all over the country. Like they were in San Francisco last week. Well, that's great, except that new shell lobster doesn't travel well. And what do you want at the other end? Somebody gets it and you know, a bunch of them are dead. Like, what's that experience? That's not a good experience for somebody that's paying a lot of money for live Maine lobster and wants that celebration and serve it to their customers, right? The other thing is, is is you can see in the summertime when people are, are eating it, and the reason it's soft shell is because the lobster's growing into the shell. So there's not, it's not full of meat. So what's that experience for people? They feel cheated. So really what I think we need to be doing is keeping that lobster in Maine and creating value with that lobster here with the meat. And there's all kinds of products that we could develop. And at the same time, we're keeping jobs in the state of Maine that, we, that we're not creating right now. And I, I kind of liken it to, to the timber business. Like, okay, you cut down your natural resource. Do you ship it to China? You know, and it gets there and you make a few pennies and then they do something with it and ship it back? It doesn't make sense to me. You're much better off to make lumber or furniture or something right here in Maine and create something with a Maine brand and create Maine jobs. It's the same thing when we sell lobster, Maine lobster to the, the processors in Canada. By federal law, they have to then put on their package that it's a product of Canada. 
Okay, so they sell it back into the U.S. and everybody thinks, oh, this is a product of Canada. Well, yeah, but it's really Maine lobster. And, you know, since I've been in the business the last 10 years or so, I think there are probably about four major processes that have gone out of business, and there's probably four left. And, and so I think something needs to happen in the industry to, to change that. You raise a good point. If people are eating Kobe beef, they're not yeah. sending the cows over. They don't send the cows over. For us to deal you don't with. You don't go to Hannaford and buy a chicken, a live chicken, and say, okay, I'm going to come home and, you know, turn this into, into chicken breast. It doesn't work that way anymore. But so why did we get to this place where we were shipping the lobsters in the shell to parts unknown? Well, I think, I think the, the, the real issue is why are we still promoting that, right? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, you, you can see it. And now we are selling a lot to China. Uh, and it's a, it's a supply and demand business. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, and, and the supply, when a few years ago the supply was increasing, the price was lower. So you could process more stuff. Today, that's different. Um, and, and the price is going up and up. But that's why we have to be more innovative, I, I think, and, and utilize that natural resource. So it helps. It, it's more sustainable and economically than it is if, you know, for, the, for the fishermen and for the, the people who work in the industry and the processing business and the chefs and, and, and everybody else. Um, Speaking about sustainability, when I first got into it, one of the things I didn't understand was why the industry didn't have um, certification from MSC, which is Marine Stewardship Council Sustainability. So I jumped in and started that, and it took six years. And when I first started out going around talking to groups and fishermen and stuff, people would they'd shout me down, literally. And, and I say, look, you're already doing these things. <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're pretty heavily regulated now. You're already doing this to make it a sustainable product. And, and look, the, you know, the catch is going up every year. So the sustainability is good. And what customers want to know outside of the state of Maine, if you're trying to get your products sold, you know, to chefs or to anybody else outside of Maine, people want to know. They want to know, number one, where, where's their food come from, right? They don't want it, they don't want it to be a secret. People are, people are aware today of what food is made of, what's in it, what are the ingredients, where, what is it really, where is it coming from? And they want to know that. So we've got a, the greatest story in the world uh, with Maine Lobster of where it comes from. It's a great story. And, and it not only sells Maine Lobster, but it attracts people to Maine for, for the tourism business, right? I mean, that's what the tourism business is based on. And, and people, uh, you know, I sell, um, we sell into retail, some retail packages, and I always put my, my email address and my cell phone number on the back, and people think I'm crazy, but I learn a lot by doing that. And people call me from all over the country, and I just answer the phone like, I don't know who it is, I just answer the phone. And they think they got the wrong number because it's not some formal person answering the phone at a company. I say, no, I just tell me. And, and they, they always tell me about their experience in Maine and, and how I came to Maine when I was a kid. Oh, I was this, I was that. And they just love Maine. They love the story of Maine. They love eating Maine lobster because it reminds them of Maine. 
And we just have the greatest brand in the world. And we just need to fully utilize it, in my opinion. And that's why I didn't understand why we didn't have any certification for sustainability. Because the other thing people want to know is when they, particularly with seafood, they want to know they're not harming the fishery, right? They're not like, who knows? There, you know how many fisheries there, there have been out there that are no longer, right? And 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 they, people want to know that when they're, they're voting with their money and they want to know, oh, tell me. So I said, why not put that little good housekeeping seal of approval on there that tells everybody in Texas or California or Florida or someplace, oh, this is a sustainable product. These guys do it right. And so we, we finally, uh, and the fishermen have been doing it right. So we finally got through that process and, and got this, you know, got the, the certification, uh, which I think has has made a significant difference in what the people's perception of Maine lobster is outside of the state of Maine. So those those are just things that uh, that I think the industry needs to be doing to to really because the landings are not going to keep going up and up and up you know and 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 so we want to maximize the the value and and the economic sustainability of of the fishery and i don't think we do that by just shipping live lobster to china or wherever for you know pennies on the dollar right i mean just for small margins but are that, you able that, that's to me i'm often a lone voice so it sounds like it seems worked out so far for you yeah but I, I you know as uh, for industry-wide I I would like to see us go in those those directions are you able to um, use more of the lobster than people traditionally are able to use I know that if you have most people if you have a, a lobster they throw away the little feet things yeah which, the legs the yeah, legs. I'm yeah not we, really we, we use the legs for for stuff and we have we have a couple products where we use it and we also sell it to chefs uh, and people make value-added products with it and again uh, you know it's it's like um, it's like uh, uh, what we have to in my opinion what we need to do is it's, it's like the lobster roll you take a few a few ounces of meat but you add mayo or butter to it or something you you're increasing that weight you if you if you use it more as an ingredient it'll go a lot further you'll you'll you know um, lobster mac and cheese is huge now right and um, if you do that then then you're, you're putting a small amount of Maine lobster but a lot of mac and cheese you're feeding a lot of people and they feel great because they are eating Maine lobster and it, it increases the value of that product. So I, th- those are good examples, I think, of you know where the industry should be headed. And again, we do that here in Maine and we create more jobs here in Maine. You currently have 80 people working in we have your... about 75 or 80 people, yep. Which is a pretty good number for a small business in Maine. Um, I, I think it is. We have really terrific people and and they work very hard they start at four o'clock in the morning and and uh, we used to start at six and they showed up at five thirty, and we started at five and they showed up at four thirty. so we said okay four o'clock that's it but they work very hard and and uh most of them have been with us for for a, a few years now 
So what you're telling me is something different than what I often hear, which is that um, we smaller businesses sometimes have difficulty finding people to work for them because there seem to be a lot more jobs out there than there once were. You're saying that you have people who well, want to work for you, they want to stay with you, and they want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to do it. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to think that that's, there's a couple reasons for that. I, I'd like to think that, that we treat our people well and, and, and you know, consider them to be members of the team. And we can't do it without them. Uh, there, there may be more jobs out there now, but I, I, I'll tell you honestly, my experience is is that uh, a lot of people don't want to work. I mean, you know, we've had we've had a lot of people come into our building, you know, and they they'll last two days or they don't really want a job. They want us to sign their papers saying they came to look for a job. But again, I, it kind of goes back uh, for me. Uh, for me, I, I think you. I look at it in terms of of opening doors for your life. And okay, do I really think I'm going to get you know be really successful selling Kool Aid? You know, when I'm five years old, no. But hey, uh, you know, I I would make uh, you know I'd go out and into the blueberry fields and for a day, six o'clock in the morning, we come back in the afternoon. I'd make a dollar and fifty cents. Okay, but it's a job. I'm learning skills. I, I I see other things. I meet other people. It opens another door, and and you don't know what that door is at the end until it's like the dollar house story. Okay, I, it was funny because when I was in law school, I, I realized that I'd go and study for exams. I'd be in the library studying, and I'd be reading these real estate books. Like why? I don't know why, but I just I was fascinated by it. And I didn't do anything, but then I got to the dollar house and I said, oh, now it all makes sense, right? Like for a dollar, I opened a door, okay? And and then, I mean, it wasn't a great thing, but it, I, it was a start. And then I saw, oh, here's another door. I can do this. Oh, guess what? Somebody called me and told me about this. There's another door I can open. And pretty soon, you, you know, that's, you got to get started. Like, I, I don't, to, to, you're on a journey. You want to be happy. You want a happy journey. So to me, it's I, I've talked a lot in high schools to kids, and I and I tell them, look, take that first step. That that's the most critical step. Whatever your dream is, I and I would tell my kids when they were growing up, like look out the window in school. I, I want you to look out the window. I don't care what your teacher says. You look out the window for five or ten minutes every day and just dream. I I don't care what it's about. Whatever whatever whoever you are, that's your dream. I, I don't care what the teacher says, and then. You have to you have to bring that to then have the courage to take that first step to what it is. You may get knocked down, but so what? I tell teach my kids it's it's not about how many times you fall down; it's about how many times you get up. That's what it's about. You always want to get up one more time than you fall down, and and don't ever quit. And and people to get back to your your question about people who work for us; those are people who don't quit. You know, they're trying to open doors and people. We we have a uh, we we have a woman uh, uh, who came to Portland with her family from Iraq as a refugee, and and she wanted to work. She couldn't find a job. Somebody brought her to us one day. She worked so hard, and then when the time came and we had a supervisor and that supervisor wasn't working out, I made her supervisor, and everybody said you're crazy. There's there's no way that she can do that. You know, I said, 
She works harder than anybody else here. She, her heart and soul is in the success of this. You watch, and today, she manages 25 people, and she does a tremendous job, and just and just works very hard, and you know, and now. She's got her citizenship. She wants to buy a house. She's bought her first car. She's, you know, she's done things uh, for her for her family, uh, and you know, for her the dream was we have to go. I have to take my family to 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 Disneyland, and the Statue of Liberty, and now she makes enough money where she can do that, and that's those are the people I want to surround myself with, and and that's what I try to tell people like. Young people, like take that first step. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, find that passion. Go for it. Don't, you're not going to start at the top. What's your next passion? Secret. So stay tuned. <laughs> I have. There are. There's more I want to do, but I. I just. I mean, I've been. I've been very fortunate. You. You asked me about. Uh, well, you, in the introduction, you just said that you know I had companies. Uh, I mean, not a big financier or something, and big companies around the world. But I've been very fortunate. I mean, I, like I said, when I was in school, I, I met people, and I thought, okay, you, you know, I can, I can do this, right? And and so I, I've been very lucky, and um, I I was I've met a lot of just. Along the way, a lot of very famous people, and been very, very lucky. Um, uh, just again, uh, I found myself at the MTV Music Awards. I, I can't sing, believe me, because uh, when I was a kid, they wouldn't let me sing Christmas carols when we went door to door. But um, I, I, we gave this uh, when I had the, the the real estate company. We had this big. We used to have a big barbecue every year, and we invited MTV, and they actually came and put it on TV and the whole thing, and they invited me to the MTV Music Awards, and I'm backstage, and I'm by the, uh, I'm, I'm by the, you know, at the stage behind the curtain, and Whitney Houston comes up to me and starts talking, and she's getting ready to win an, win an award, so she says to me, grabs my hand, said, "Come on, come on up on stage with me." I'm like, you sure you want me up there? <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I don't think so. But I mean, you just find yourself in these situations, and uh, I was very fortunate to to meet um, uh, uh, George Bush, 41, when he was uh, vice president, and, um, and and afterwards he was very good to us, and he would actually uh, invited my wife and I um, and him for dinner at the White House, just us, the three of us, and. Uh, and Barbara was always just the most gracious person in the world, and you know he would tour us around the White House and and do things. And and he um, he sent. Those are just things that that happen if you're out there, you know, chasing your dream. Um, and he sent me. Um, I, I mean, they they offered me an ambassadorship, which I had very young kids. I didn't. I couldn't do at the time, uh, which was fine. Um, but I, w I went to, uh, he, he sent me on a mission before the, before the Iron Curtain came down. He sent me on a mission to Russia uh, with uh, uh, some young business people. And we got to meet uh, Gorbachev in his office and introduced it to Politburo and, and traveled across Russia uh, to St. Petersburg and into Latvia and, 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 and the most chilling days of my life, I think, really, and, and seeing the people and, and just 
how sad it all was and and uh, I'll never forget a night we went in a Friday night we went into this church in December and it was just freezing and there was no heat just candles in this big church in, in Latvia and it was just quiet and everybody was just huddled in there and I'm like okay and all of a sudden in the in the background up in the in the choir this lady just comes out singing Ave Maria and it was just I, I mean it was just bring tears to your eyes to see these people like wow is this all you know is this all you have to live for it's just a shame and I, I was actually there when when the wall came down and 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 President Bush was with uh, President Gorbachev in Malta and and it was incredible and and so I, I I met some good contacts there and started a business one of the first private businesses in in Russia and then started one in the in the Philippines and um, I, again it's just opening doors you know you, you don't know what's out there there's life is full of adventures just take advantage of it and participate that's kind of how I've uh, how I've you know lived my life and I'm very happy with it and lucky very fortunate well I appreciate your taking time I, out I of have, your yeah busy schedule five wonderful kids that that I think have listened a little bit and they're all doing very very well Well, I wish you all the best for your ongoing success and for your kids and oh. for your for your wife. And I appreciate all the work that you've done to bring, um, I guess, sustainability to the workplace and to the lobster industry here in the state of Maine. I've been speaking with John Hathaway, who has owned companies all over the world, including a successful real estate development firm. He returned to his home state of Maine to open Shucks Maine Lobster, a business that supplies raw lobster meat to international and local chefs. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you, Lisa. I enjoyed it. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Alby. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.